Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, along with my wonderful wife, wife Janet, and my producer, Lindsay, and we are streaming live from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy uh, Studio. Today, you don't want to miss out on this episode. You may have heard of him before, Dr. Ryan Cole. He is down in Boise, Idaho, and I had the pleasure and honor of meeting him a few weeks ago. And a few months ago, he did a talk regarding COVID, and just uh, by accident, he wasn't even prepared for it. It kind of went viral, and um, he's kind of been famous ever since, and he's been taking media requests from all over, and he was gracious enough to accept our media requests. So I am super excited to have him on. He's just going to be talking about a little bit of the history of what we know and maybe what we could have done better and, and kind of the future. So Dr. Cole, welcome to our show. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Janet. Good to be here with you. Yeah. So first of all, um, tell us a little bit of your background um, so our listeners and viewers can know what your education and background is. Um, so, the, you know, are, you know what you're talking about when it comes to viruses. Sure. So I'm an MD. I'm a Mayo Clinic trained board certified anatomic and clinical pathologist with a expertise in a subspecialty expertise in skin pathology as well. So I have, uh, you know, three areas of, of pathology training. Um, I, I've been in practice independent for 18 years, in practice for 19 years, been a doctor for 26 years. So um, I see about 25,000 patients a year through the microscope, probably about another 30,000, 40,000 through the laboratory. And then this past year, we've done about 100,000 um, plus uh, COVID patients. So a part of uh, pathology includes uh, virology training. I did PhD work in immunology as well uh, when I was in medical school. So uh, virology and immunology are part of my expertise. And on a daily basis, I, I run a busy um, laboratory, one of the largest in the state of Idaho. And uh, we've been right at the forefront of COVID testing and uh, understanding this virus uh, and all the mechanisms of action of the virus and treatments as well as uh, you know, how it affects our communities, et cetera. So that's that's a, a, a synopsis. Yeah, well, thank you for that. And tell us how, I think it was back in March, you you gave a quick little speech on, um, on COVID, and I don't even think you were ready to be videoed or anything. And next thing you know, your video goes viral and you're getting requests from media all over the nation. Yeah, I was invited by a friend to uh, just give a lunchtime chat at the Capitol building. It's called the Capitol Clarity Meeting. Lieutenant Governor invites you know, people on Thursday at lunchtime to come give a chat. And a friend of mine said, hey, you know, we, you and I chatted COVID all this past year. Would you mind just coming giving a little chat? So the night before I put a little PowerPoint together and thought I was giving a lunchtime educational lecture to 100 people, not realizing somebody would film it. Well, that got posted. Um, half million views, million views, two million, five million. Carrie Underwood's husband put it on his Instagram. Jay Cutler, the quarterback, put it on his couple other scientists put it on theirs. And next thing you know, I lost count after 10 or 20 million. Of course, you know, certain platforms took it down in this era of censorship. Um, but, you know, I, I was just speaking data. I was just speaking what we knew to that point on COVID and just trying to uh, get the data out there. That's what a pathologist does. We're data analysts. We look at we look at patterns, we look at data, and we try to give the, the truth. I mean, what I was sharing isn't political, you know, and I, I, I boast that I'm alt-middle, 
because I, I listen to all sides and I try to come to the conclusion of what's the actual answer once you look at data from, from everywhere. So that was just a, a little whim of a talk and all of a sudden I have friends from South Africa to the Philippines, to India, to Norway, to Slovakia, et cetera. I, I have doctors and friends and colleagues reaching out from around the world now after just uh, that, that brief presentation. Congratulations to you, and thank you for getting that the word out. So um, I really appreciate you speaking truth and just speaking facts, because I think there's a lot with the media and, and promoted from the government that is just not necessarily factual. And so I, I appreciate um, a medical doctor coming out and, and telling the truth, because I think a lot of medical doctors are scared to tell the truth because they get ostracized. That's an excellent point. And, and that's an advantage of being an independent. I can, I can speak what I see. Um, you know, I'm, I'm willing to be wrong. Part of, part of medicine is the curiosity of mind and part of science. There's no such thing as the science that we've heard about this year. There is such a thing as science. And science is always probing, learning, hypothesizing, theorizing. And, and so I, I do appreciate the challenge of many of my colleagues this past year where they're stuck in these big systems and we've seen the demise of modern medicine through guidelines and so thinking outside the box thinking logically thinking critically i know some of them are, are brilliant physicians most of them are but the challenge is, is the system tells them you will do this you will do that you will do this and neither shall you stray and if you do you're out the door going to fire you which has been to the detriment of the patient and the detriment of healthcare in general, because they look at whoever's above them and then the administrator looks to what's the government saying and the government is about six to nine months behind on the actual scientific data. So it, it, it actually harms patients when you can't, you, you can't be on a battlefield and say, okay, my gun stopped working and there's three or four laying on the field in the middle of a pandemic. And, and you say, well, we need to take this gun back to the range, sight it in, make sure that it's a certifiable gun at the range. Of course you wouldn't do that. If you're in the middle of a battle, you're going to grab that weapon next to you and start doing what's you know, necessary to, to stay alive and to stay in the battle. And, and that's been kind of the analogy of this year is, is, we've got agencies and big systems saying, no, you have to take it back and certify it, et cetera. It's like, no, no, let's, let's battle. We've got a pandemic, got a virus. Uh, let's do the prudent thing and use our critically thinking minds on behalf of our patients. Well, I, I think you touched on a very important fact that in the past, providers have been able to work together to solve without the interference of outliers. And that could be your administration or the government telling you how that therapy could work. Because I feel like some of the treatments that we've had available to us have been shut down for whatever reason uh, from outside forces that are not practicing doctors. And so I feel like this treatment therapy is unusual because in the past, we've been able to reach for whatever drug or whatever uh, form of treatment that the physician and MD has felt was prudent for their patient. Would you agree? Oh, 100% so. Um, and, and it's interesting because one in five, if not a little bit more than that, medicines that your doctor prescribes for you is written off-label. 
Right. And we see that they have an effect. We're treating a certain disease, but we see that they have an effect on another disease. And so that becomes kind of the norm. The FDA has one job, and that's to certify safety of a medication. When a, a pharmaceutical company gets a patent for a drug and a treatment modality, they don't want to put it through another trial. They already have it on the market and, and approved. So they don't say, okay, we got it approved for this condition. We're going to go back and get it approved for that condition. They already know it's out there. It's verified. It's safe, et cetera. FDA's done their job. Same thing with these medicines, to your point, Jenna. They, they, this year, for whatever reason, look at two drugs. One's been on the market for 40 years. Right. Uh, the drug that shall not be named. I don't know if I can name these or not. Yeah, <laughs> uh, please, please go ahead and name it. Okay, ivermectin, been on the market for 40 years, 4 billion people on the planet have taken this for parasitic conditions. We've known for over a decade that it has antiviral properties from uh, laboratory studies and lots of papers that have been done on this against yellow fever, dengue, Zika, Ebola, et cetera. So we know that it has antiviral properties and guess what? It has uh, wonderful, there's about 22 mechanisms of action we've been able to identify with this drug so far. Uh, about seven or eight of those are against the virus and the others are immune modulatory. So if you wanted something that's safe, that's cheap, that's widely available, that provides health equity and saves lives, it, you know, you couldn't have picked a better drug to just fall in your lap. But, you know, 4 billion people have taken it, maybe 12 to 16 adverse reactions out of 4 billion people over four decades. That's a really safe drug. It's on the WHO's list of most essential, safest medications. And meanwhile, all of a sudden it has become this anathema and, in science and, and it, it, you just scratch your head as to why are they doing this? And I, I have my suppositions as to why. Same thing, hydroxychloroquine, very very good um, preventatively and in the early stages of disease before the, the virus starts you know, taking off and replicating. And it also has anti-inflammatory mechanisms. So there's, there's two drugs that have been on the market for a kajillion years, essentially, incredibly safe profiles incredibly cheap, efficacious, um, available. And yeah, we could we could hypothesize and theorize as to why we have seen um, the, the, the agencies, the governments, the big systems push back against them. There's no money to be made in them, but there are lives to be saved with them. Right. And, and I kind of want to speak to um, some of the things that we've always been taught or have known true about treating a viral infection, that it, it's in the essence of time. So rather than going back home and waiting for someone to take care of you, wouldn't it have been more prudent for us to be on board with it and, and being very um, proactive? Because I've always been taught that when you're treating a virus, the faster we can get the antiviral on board, the quicker the, the patient has to their own immune system to respond to the treatment. Is that correct? 100% true. And, and why we've thrown science and modern medicine and treatment to the wayside? Puzzling. Because to your point, yeah, influenza, if you're going to use Tamiflu, you want it on board in that first 24 to 48 hours. Um, yeah, you think of bacterial pneumonia. Say a patient comes into the clinic and has pneumonia. The doctor isn't going to say, gosh, yeah, you, you have pneumonia in your lungs. Why don't you just go home when you turn blue and we get you in the ICU, then we'll start an antibiotic. Right. It's I, insane. Right. So speaking of hypothesizing why some of these treatments aren't being used, does this have anything to do with emergency authorization of um, the vaccine approval? Excellent question. Page three, bottom of the, bottom of the bullet points on uh, the EUA for these uh, shots. 
if there is a therapy or modality that works for an illness, a vaccine cannot be emergency authorized. So that that does beg the question as to is there mm. a financial motivation behind these? It clearly, clearly states in that authorization if there's a therapy, hey, we can't we can't authorize these shots. Wow. And so statistically, the drugs actually do better do better than um, than the shots in terms of efficacy prevention. Uh, decreases in death. So, you know, we that's a long lecture it could go through with the statistics, but yeah, wow. go ahead. Well, let's go back a little bit. And uh, early on in the stages, you, you, when I was talking to you in your office, you had a great analogy about some, um, the, some of the first outbreaks on some ships and um, what, how we could have looked at lockdowns in the future and um, how um, lockdowns were or weren't needed. Can you give those analogies? You bet. So um, we had, you know, I, I'm a laboratory physician, doctor to the doctor. So we, we look for models. How, how do we model something? Well, we had two perfect lab examples. You know, we had uh, the Diamond Princess cruise ship and we had the USS Roosevelt aircraft carrier. So on the Diamond Princess, COVID hit that ship. We had an isolated population. We could see how much that virus was going to spread. It hit 19 point something percent within that population on the ship. 80% of individuals did not get the virus. There were six, seven deaths, elderly individuals, comorbid conditions that succumbed. USS Roosevelt, you have a younger, healthier population, 5,000 sailors on that ship. Virus penetrated about 17 point something percent. So about 83% didn't get COVID. One individual succumbed, comorbid condition, diabetic. Um, so we had those perfect models early on that said, okay, we know who's at risk for this virus, what the death rate statistically is going to be within a large population, what herd immunity technically is. I mean, once it hit 20%, 80% of people for whatever reason, be it they had cross immunity to a common cold coronavirus, if they had a strong healthy immune system that could ward off the virus, et cetera. We had those two perfect models, which we could have said, okay, we know how it's going to behave. The elderly and the comorbid are at risk. The rest of us go back to normal life. Let's protect these individuals. Never in the history of humankind have we locked down the healthy and the well. And after we did so, we realized lockdown didn't stop the spread of the virus at all whatsoever in, in any places. Lockdowns are 100% ineffective with an airborne virus. In fact, in many places where lockdowns occur, the virus spreads even faster. And can you explain that? Why? Well, you're in an indoor space. So the virus doesn't spread outdoors. Sunshine kills this virus. UV light, this is a fragile virus. If you're outdoors, the virus uh, the virus is going to die in ultraviolet right, light from the sunshine. At the same time, if you're in a crowded space, i.e. indoors, with an airborne particle floating around, you actually increase the susceptibility of the population within that building, that home, that space. We saw in New York City, actually, in some apartment buildings, because of ventilation, a higher degree of people acquired the virus within the ventilation of the ducts of those uh, condos, complexes, apartments, etc. So how is this treatment of... Um... COVID with when we are talking about the vaccine, 
it's different than what we have used in the past. So I think our viewers need to understand how that is so different than like our normal influenza shot or pneumonia shots and, and other vaccines that we have used in the past, because I think that is something that um, as a healthcare provider, it's concerning to me and, and just understanding and wrapping our brain around the differences of this particular treatment or prevention. Okay, and, and so number one, um, to your point, we, we never treat uh, a rapidly spreading virus with a vaccine. It's not a treatment. You do it the season before, months before, et cetera. So to think that we're going to stop the spread of something with a vaccine in the middle of spread, it, it's kind of scientific and medical silliness. This, these shots themselves, uh, it, it's a modality that's never been used on humankind before. So normally we'll take a killed part of a pathogen, a protein, a surface molecule, or part of a part of a pathogen that's killed, inactivated, put it into the put it into the shot, put it into your arm, you make an antibody. Now you're primed and prepped to ward off that bacteria, that virus, whatever the infection may be, the season's coming up. Now with this, we've taken a gene sequence from the virus and we've injected it into the human body, it overtakes our cellular machinery, and then it makes the spike protein. So we've never used mRNA technology at scale on humanity ever before. So we're technically doing a large scale experiment on all of humanity with something we've never done before. And we could get into the adverse reactions that we're seeing because they're immense and numerous. But here, so we're told you get the shot, we're giving you a gene sequence from the virus, it makes just a part of the virus, the spike protein. Well, the esteemed Salk Institute just a few weeks ago did a study that showed that that spike itself, uh, without the virus attached, you inject that into mammal models, the spike causes vascular disease, lung disease, brain disease, heart disease, kidney disease, all the diseases that the virus itself causes, the spike alone can cause. So now we reflect back and go, wait a minute, we're injecting the spike. Now we know that the spike itself is the toxin. That's the problem. The spike induces the inflammatory reaction. You don't die from the virus itself. You die from hyperimmune reactions to a pathogen. Your immune system literally over revs and kills you. And so we're doing something we've never been, uh, that's never been done before in humanity with something that's a novel approach to vaccination. We're trying to treat it as a therapy we're not having 100% immunity built up from this shot. When you get a shot, you wanna be fully immune from whatever pathogens coming up in the future. And these are what we call leaky vaccines in the sense that they decrease symptoms. And this was kind of silliness as well in these trials where that we're saying, look, it decreases severe down to moderate or mild, and it decreases moderate down to mild. And we took a very healthy cohort when we studied these, and we didn't have a lot of people with other diseases to see what the adverse reactions would be to these. So yeah, it's a modality we've never done before. And unfortunately, we're, we're seeing, we've seen more deaths reported to the VAERS system than we've seen in the last history of all vaccination ever since the start of tracking vaccinations. In just six months, we have over 6,000 deaths reported to the VAERS system. In all of vaccination over the last multiple decades, that is more than all of those combined in the last 20, 28 years of reporting. So 
in six months and we still have six months of this year to go so it makes you scratch your head normally if a product kills 25 people they have to pull it off the market but that's if it's an approved fda product these aren't approved these are emergency authorized non-licensed non-approved these are an experiment these are emergency authorized as long as the emergency authorization is in place. The moment that they lift that authorization, these don't have authorization. They'd have to go through the approval process for the which, based on that number of deaths, they would be pulled. Wow. Wow. Uh, Unreal. I can't believe what we're experiencing in medicine today and how the government is still, if the numbers, I, I trust what you say is true, Dr. Cole, if those numbers are true, it's amazing that we have state and federal officials that are still pushing this vaccine so heavily. It's frustrating, and you do have to consider that the NIH has a financial interest. They hold the patent on the spike protein in the sequence. They license it to Moderna. So NIH gets funding back from, from the sale of this product. The CDC, they have about 56, 57 patents on vaccines and vaccine technologies. They get about $4.7 billion a year from the vaccine companies. And then the FDA, 45 to 50% of their funding comes from pharma as well. So in my talk, I mentioned, you know, it is the fox guarding the hen house. You have to look at the intertwining uh, corporate governmental interests. And it does make you wonder, why we're not using treatments that cost you know pennies literally that save lives and then we're trying to stop a pandemic in the middle of it by vaccinating which you you never do you find and you reach for that quickest gun on the battlefield and whatever is showing the best signal you you use it you treat you treat early to janet's point and you save lives that way and and it, we have thrown medical logic out the window this year and again, when we get reporting of the data from the government agencies, they tend to be six to nine months behind the science. And, and it's very frustrating because we've lost too many lives unnecessarily because of uh, bureaucratic red tape and, and just not using critical thinking. Critical thinking would have saved millions of lives. Well, and I think, too, from your talk that we listened to, there were things that we could have told clients, patients to do at home that had preventative um, properties to it that were very inexpensive without even having medication. And, and could you touch on some of those things just to share with our viewers as well? Yeah, you bet. So the, the other, I guess frustration I've had with this past year is how many health messages have you heard from the public health agencies, be it state, be it governmental, federal, the public health officials saying, you know, wear a mask, lock down and, you know, fear, suffer vaccine. That's the only option we've had is what we've heard this past year. Instead, what are you doing to optimize your own immune health? Are you looking in the mirror and going, huh, I think I need to change my eating habits. We know that 80% of people that were hospitalized were obese or overweight. So we also know that the high majority of individuals um, that were hospitalized and in the ICUs were vitamin D deficient. And vitamin D is a pro-hormone. It's not just a vitamin, it's a pro-hormone that directly or indirectly talks to 2000 genes in your body. It ramps up your immune response. And once you're adequately responding, it tells those genes to tune off. And then one thing that you know we haven't heard is, guess what, COVID is a clotting disease. If your vitamin D levels are normal, vitamin D also works with your clotting system to, to inhibit clotting. So vitamin D is one thing. Instead of locking us down, they should have said, get outside and get some sunshine, especially in the spring 
and summer when you can synthesize it. In the fall and the winter, you have to supplement if you live above the 35th parallel in the world or below the 35th parallel in the world. You can't make it. You could run outside naked for five days or five months right. and, and make zero vitamin D. So vitamin D is one, you know, with some magnesium at bedtime, it's a cofactor that moves the D from your fat into your circulation, vitamin K2 as well. So those are the ones I recommend with D. But also, Leptin resistance and insulin resistance. Yeah, 80% of Americans are metabolically unwell. And leptin right. itself is a cytokine. And so we processed food, inflammatory oils, your soybean oils, corn oils, flaxseed, canola, um, grapeseed, et, et cetera. There are a lot of inflammatory oils that put you in a pro-inflammatory state. Obesity puts you into a pro-inflammatory state. So there's so many things that we could have heard say, you could fast for three days and shift your leptin level. So if we told everybody intermittent fast for three days and you've instantly changed your cytokine profile, now start taking some vitamin D stop eating the junk, stop eating the sugar, stop eating the high fructose corn syrup. If I want to make a lab animal deficient in vitamin D for uh, lab studies, I give them high fructose corn syrup. 70 to 80% of the foods on the shelf at the grocery store have not only high fructose yeah. corn syrup, but those those inflammatory soy and, and other oils in them. So literally we're, we're slow poisoning our society. And then we don't have a public health official saying, hey, for your health to avoid not just this virus, but any virus, any infection, here's some things you need to not put into your body. Don't slow poison your body. And here's other things you do need to put into your body. So that's, you know, yeah, health messages lost. There's no right. money in that, but there's health to be gained from it. So I know we you understand this concept, but this is something that has drived me crazy since the beginning. Wearing gloves everywhere you go. Can you address that? Because that is something that, I, you know, it makes my back just straighten and I just like chalkboard because I see this over and over again and it's still still out there. Can you talk about glove wearing? Yeah, you know, glove wearing does nothing. In, in, in a surgical suite that is sterile and I put on you know, some sterile surgical gloves. I walk in that room, I've already iodine washed my hands. I walk in there, I don't touch a thing until I touch a surgical instrument. That's a sterile environment. People wearing gloves, you know, they're still rubbing their faces, they're picking everything up. Everything that's on your hand is on the surface of those gloves. You are not preventing a single thing by wearing those gloves. And then it goes along with the individuals that still think it's fun to wear a mask alone in a car. <laughs> you're you're doing <laughs> right. Well, I guess my feeling with the glove is you're painting the world with every bacteria and virus that you're picking sure. up because you're spreading it more than just if you would have washed your hands after you used that cart or you went somewhere. And, you know, because that glove brings with everything wherever you've been. And, you know, like you said, surgical suite is totally different than the, the environment that we live in where we need viruses and fungus and bacteria to balance each other. And when you're just taking a swab and spreading it everywhere, it, I mean, the whole science of it just, I, it's, it's crazy in my brain. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. There is no science or, or logic to it. I, I, you know, we could get into the mask argument, certainly. Oh, let's, sure. let's do it. Let's please do it. I, I so, okay. Are, are, are masks effective for an airborne virus? Absolutely not. 100% no. 100%. Okay. And, and so tell us the science behind that. Why is that true? 
Okay, so even in a surgical suite, certainly your surgeon, your nurses are wearing a mask in surgery, and that's going to keep, you know, bacteria, you know, from your mouth from going into the surgical field, and it keeps splashback from the the surgery from coming up at you. But when you when you take something that is so infinitesimally small, thousands the size of a human hair, and put a bunch of mesh in front of it, and I know by this time everybody's heard that analogy of you know, stopping a mosquito from going through a chain link fence or taking a handful of sand and throwing at a chain link fence. That's essentially what you're doing with a virus. The particles are infinitesimally small compared to the size of the mesh on the mask. So it doesn't stop that. And, and, and the other thing too, you know, most people aren't wearing a surgical N95 mask. They're wearing cloth, math, cloth masks, one or two layers thick. Well, you literally, and this goes to physics principles, when you cough, you actually accelerate and, and shoot farther the distance that that particle is going to go because of the compression through a, a tightened space. So in, in decades and decades and decades of medicine, we've done mask study after mask study after mask study. None have ever, ever, ever been shown to stop the spread of an airborne virus. You know, you cough this out, this virus is so small, floats in the air. If you're in an environment with a sick person, it's going to come right through your mask. It's going to go right through your mask, et cetera. So it's, they're, they're ineffective. And, and I know we want to think, okay, we're doing something. And I understand that concept. We're, we're trying to do something. Everybody wants to do something in the middle of, of an illness that's spreading. Sure. Well, stay home if you're sick and wash your hands. There. That's there what has been shown to work against influenza. And that's all that works. Lockdowns don't work. Masks don't work. Um, and and that we are being fibbed to, lied to, controlled by these things that the data don't support is very frustrating scientifically to me. The data don't support it. The emotional argument is what's there. The data are not. Right. So 95% of all infectious disease can be stopped, transmitted by washing your hands. Wash your hands. So, stay home if you're sick. Right. So... Do you think Dr. Fauci knew that masks did not work to oh, prevent spread of virus? He as much as stated so last year early on. And then all of a sudden, uh, the script switched. He He's worked in virology for 40 years. He knows this. And that's why he said, you know, don't wear masks, et cetera, et cetera. He was right. And then the media has a, a quick uh, forgetful memory and and then you expunge those statements from him. But he knew. Virologists know. Physicians know. And people don't wear masks properly anyway. It's not going not going to do anything. He knew all along, yes. And his so, emails as much show that. Right. And so even if you wore an N95 effectively, it would not filter out a virus, correct? Uh, correct. Yeah. It, it'll stop a few, but there was a great uh, study in Japan and they did a mannequin model, model mannequin model with live coronavirus, and they showed the X percentage of the virus still made it through. So even with an N95, you're not gonna you're not gonna stop a virus. Okay, so why would Dr. Fauci want people to wear masks then? Um, part of a narrative, part of a, I, I you know I, I I can go down the the primrose path of who's up to what and, and what shenanigans, you know, people are up to within government systems and control and, and wanting us to acquiesce to their demands. Um, you know, I, I can certainly hypothesize about that. And I'm, I guess from my in between the lines comment, you can, you can think about it that way. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so 
you made a when I was talking to you in your office a few weeks back, you you made one of the best analogies I've I've ever heard. And I think sometimes as, you know, scientists and people in healthcare, we we get so used to hearing a narrative, we don't think we don't step back and think rationally. And you made an analogy all these positive COVID tests. And the analogy was somewhat like just because you test positive for COVID doesn't mean you have a disease. And you made the analogy like just because you test positive for yeast on your skin doesn't mean you have a yeast infection. Do you remember that conversation? Yeah, absolutely. We, we've had a case-demic this year. Yeah, explain that. So you know, the concept of asymptomatic carrier, asymptomatic spread, there, there are a lot of studies that showed, look, this people that test positive for the virus are not spreaders of the disease. So the, the concept, if I, if I put a swab in, in back of your throat onto your adenoids right now, in 95% of Americans, I could detect the virus that causes mononucleosis, Epstein-Barr virus. The majority of us have the shingles virus in, in the nerves in our body, and they'll flare when we're stressed or, or immune compromised. Um, there are kids that carry strep in the back of their throat all the time. If things are kept in balance and in check. It's, it's, a, it's a fertile environment for all sorts of microbes. But just because you're carrying something doesn't mean you're a case of it. If you don't have shingles right now, then you're, you're not a case of shingles, even though you're carrying the virus. And you're carrying all those other ones I listed. You're not a case of, of mono per se. You're not a case of shingles. You're not a case of strep even though you have those microbes on board. So it's silliness this past year that we've said, you're carrying the virus, you must quarantine, et cetera, if you don't have symptoms. Yeah, we, we've never done this before. It doesn't make any medical sense. It's completely illogical. A, a China study where they looked at 10 million people, 10 million tests, then they tracked and traced uh, 300 people out of that cohort, all 1,274 of their contacts, Nobody that was in contact with those 300 people that were asymptomatically positive, nobody got COVID from them out of all their contacts. So the spread rate from, quote, an asymptomatic carrier was absolutely zero. So we were led into this thought this past year that if you test positive, you're you're a case of COVID hogwash. That is medical yeah, it, it, it's medical insanity. It's medical malfeasance that they were treating us the way they were for people that didn't have a disease, that weren't at risk for the disease. And, and we've never done that before. Is that correct? Never. never. No, no. We're, we're, we're playing games with, I call it the new science, but it's it, when you mix politics and, and, and medicine, you get politics. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's the problem with this past year. Yeah. So, so tell us, What's the future of medicine now, now that we have COVID-19? I, I think a lot of people early on, including myself, I didn't really know what the 19 meant, but the 19 literally means 2019, correct? Correct. So yeah. what's 2020? What's COVID-2021? What's 2022 bring? How does this change medicine and the politics of it? Well, here, here's the... Uh... Again, I'll go to actual science. Actual science, we look at this virus. The history of coronaviruses, they come, they go. Um, this is not influenza. It doesn't recombine in barnyards with pigs and waterfowl and humans and recombine into a new virus every year. Now that COVID-19 essentially is done in North America, there's still pockets. It's still endemic. You know, we're, we're still peddling fear. We should be peddling logic, treat, early treatment, early treatment, early treatment. That's how, that's how you solve this pandemic. But anyway, the future of it is 
yes, there have been some mutations. People call them variants. I call them scariants because they're using the scarus. They're 99.7 to 99.9% .9 the same as the prior virus. Um, I call them samians because they're so much the same as SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19. Um, are we going to have coronaviruses in the future? Absolutely. Are we going to have them as frequently and as as rapidly as this one? No, this one was most likely engineered based on the sequences. This has got a special uh, special feature to it. Now that we've seen you know the Fauci emails, I, I was saying this in last year. I looked at some of the sequences and the CGG CGG fear and cleavage site, and I thought coronaviruses don't have that. I scratched my my head and I thought you know this is. This is engineered, so it's behaved a little more aggressively, but at the end of the day, it's been really like more of a bad flu season statistically. Coronaviruses come, coronaviruses go. SARS came, SARS left, MERS came, MERS left. There's a reason they they affect a set of part of the population and then they fade. And I predict this one will too, unless they have something else engineered that they want to share with us. Wow, that's scary to think about. So in these last few minutes of our podcast, um, what, what, would, what is the main point you would like to get across to our listeners and viewers? If there's one thing that you could tell them about this COVID-19 pandemic, um, what would that be? Well, it, it is a real virus and it has harmed people. Um, you know, that, that's unfortunate. Um, my main message would be pandemic-proof your body for the future. Um, take care of your health, both your mental and physical health put things into your body that are gonna make you uh, viral proof. You have, get your vitamin D levels up to normal. People with a vitamin D above 50 did not have severe disease with this virus at all or undetectable essentially. So know, know what your hormones are, know what your immune status is. Um, viruses come, viruses go. We will live with and against viruses and bacteria and microbes for a lifetime. The lesson learned here is don't depend on a government to take care of your health. You have to be proactive and take care of your body, your mind, your body. Uh, get out and move if you can. Make sure that you are not putting poison. It, it, look at your body as a, as a fine-tuned car or truck or whatever you like to drive. Are you going to put sand in the radiator? Heck no. Are you going to put the wrong fuel in your tank? No, you're not. You're not going to ruin that fine machine. Well, you get one fine machine for a lifetime, and we don't need to be putting poison into this fine machine. And if your machine is tuned finely, guess what? It revs just fine. Same thing, that analogy with the immune system. You put junk into your body, expect illness, expect chronic disease, expect pain, expect death. Um, most, most modern diseases are diseases of civilization and diseases that we have chosen right we've chosen to give ourselves disease by being, uh, by acquiescing to what the big systems tell us we do or don't need, instead of saying, I'm going to learn for myself, I'm gonna be a critical thinker. And that's the other thing too, another lesson learned from this year is, does the government, does the big system have its interest at heart or your interest at heart? And we've, we've silenced smart people so that dumb people won't be offended this past year with all the censoring. Um, truth does not mind being questioned. A lie does not like to be challenged. And in this past year, we've allowed that to happen. And very smart people with forward thinking, early treatments to save lives have been censored across the board. And so you need to take personal responsibility. Don't believe everything you hear. Turn off the news, turn off the mainstream media, tune in to people that are critical thinkers, logical, 
that are going outside the box to find answers. So be an individual, you know, you're a sovereign individual. Think of your body as your temple. Think of your mind as something that's sacrosanct and can't be manipulated by the forces to tell you, you must be in lockstep with us in the way we think. It's up to you as an individual to take control of your health and you can pandemic proof your mind and your body in those ways. Well, you know, the first minute I met you, Dr. Cole, I knew that you and I would get along when you said things just like that. I mean, basically, you summed up one of the chapters in my book, and and my book's called Sick and How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. And I had left you a copy of my book, and, um, you know, we discussed it a little bit in your office. And and one of the solutions is is that people need to take be proactive in their own health. And, you know, you as a doctor, me as a pharmacist, it is our job to help educate and empower them to be proactive in their own health. Um, don't trust the government. Don't necessarily trust me. Make sure you do your own research, um, you know, but my goal is to get the tool, give patients tools to do their own research and just educate and empower them to take care of themselves. Because usually the government and big corporate medicine do not have their best interests at heart. And one thing I was going to talk about earlier when you were talking about the vaccine and how they're suppressing treatments and all that is as always follow the money yeah. follow the money and you will find a trail where that money goes so um dr cole you're obviously i believe an expert in this in this um topic and i appreciate you sharing today um what what, what do you have a passion for what what drives you um, knowledge is my drug of choice in life. You know, we get one go round on this planet and to make it a good one, learning. I love to learn. Um, you know, I love to do art beyond this as well. Just, uh, I tell people you should never retire in life. You should only rewire. So it's just taking the, the beauty of life energy and always refocusing, refocusing it into something new. I, I'm driven by knowledge and taking that knowledge and doing good for humanity in whatever way I can. So that, that that's why I've really dug in this past year to know as much as possible so I could impact as many lives as possible. But, you know, th this is just a small part of life. Whatever you do, do it well, be passionate about it, and make sure it impacts humanity for good in some way or other. Man, we need to get together because you are preaching to the choir. <laughs> I love it. I say that we, we say things like that all the time on this podcast. And that is true. We need to be passionate about what we do. Love what we do for sure. And if you don't, then change it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if anybody wanted to get a hold of you, what is the best way to get a hold of you? I know you're inundated with uh, uh, media calls and I thank you so much for taking the time to meet with us today. I know you're, you've got a busy practice and a lot of media requests also. So if somebody did want to get a hold of you, what's the best way? Um, through our website, coldiagnostics.com here at the laboratory. Um, I do, honestly, I'm probably about two to 3,000 messages behind at the moment. So um, you can fill out a form and then I have a couple of my assistants that will get me the more urgent ones together. I do have kind of a fact sheet that answers most general questions I've been getting. Um, I need to clone myself times three and get about 10 more assistants. But beyond that, that's probably the best way. And I do try to answer as many as possible, especially the more acute situations. I've gotten back to just about every physician that's reached out. Um, so if you don't hear from me, it's because there's only one of me and hundreds and hundreds of requests per day. And it's not that I don't care. I do 
I, I, I just wish I could help everybody and give everybody as much time as they honestly deserve as, as fellow human beings. I just uh, figure out cloning for me and we'll make a, about 10 more <laughs> of me and 10 more of you and we can get the message out. That, that, yeah. That's Wait. <laughs> well, I appreciate you being on. Um, you obviously have a passion for what you do. You're obviously an expert in the subject. And, you know, obviously it's it's obvious that you love taking care of patients and being a doctor. And I will tell you that's refreshing because not all doctors like being a doctor anymore. And I think it's because you're liberated and you've created a situation where you are not necessarily listening to what the government says. You're not listening to what some big corporate um um, entity says you're doing things what's best for the patient because you have created an environment where you're independent. So thank you for doing that, Dr. Cole. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. I take I take my oaths uh, very sacredly that I made in medicine. MD means make a difference. That's right. And you were definitely doing that. So and you've definitely met, made, met our goal today of educating and empowering individuals to be proactive in their own health. I appreciate all the information and knowledge you shared today. Dr. Cole, thank you so much for being on. Thank you, Sean. We'll do it again sometime soon. Thanks. All right. And Wednesday, you want to, you don't want to miss it because you want to tune in at 7 to 8 o'clock uh, Pacific Standard Time. We have a doctor on, Dr. Sabine Salinka. Dr. Cole, you might be familiar with her. Yeah, she talks about microbiome, but she also is talking yeah. about treatment of COVID with ivermectin, and she had a big talk that was going on that got censored. So we're going to talk about that. It'll just go along with this segment. So don't miss out um, Wednesday, uh, 7 to 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Dr. Cole, thank you so much for being on. Listeners and viewers, thank you so much for tuning in today. You've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you. <laughs> 